Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Climate Champions podcast. I'm your host, Maddie Orr, and today I've got Monica Rowand with me to discuss the nuts and bolts of college sports sustainability on episode five. The transcript for this episode and all the show notes with links to the things we're about to discuss can be found on the Sport Ecology Group's website at sportecology.org slash podcast. So I've been reading about your story, some of your work. You went from California to Colorado. Now you're down in Louisiana. Tell me a little bit about that story, how you ended up in those places and and where you think you're going to go next. Yeah. Well, and if we're getting really specific, it was California, Colorado, Louisiana, Colorado, back to Louisiana. <laughs> wow. So, you know, just bounce, bouncing back and forth. But I ended up back in Louisiana once my tenure at Colorado. Um, I moved back to Colorado to attend grad school and knew I'd be able to work with Dave Newport on their sports sustainability program there with the CU bus. And once my tenure there sort of reached its end, ready to move on to a new location, Louisiana was at the top of my list on places I wanted to land. And University of Louisiana has a very ripe place for sustainability and them having a D1 school in terms of an athletics program, they're open to sustainability and bringing uh, both operational and uh, marketing-based initiatives in place. That's kind of what really sealed the deal for me to come back down, down south. And when you say it was a ripe environment, what do you mean by that? Where are they in the process? Or is that something that was exciting about it because they're just starting in that process of going green? So the university as a whole, they have an office of sustainability that was formed about seven years ago. Five years ago, they brought on a full-time director. So like many universities, it started as a student-driven project, and then it was run by a grad student. And then about five years ago, they brought on a full-time director. And then with bringing me on into that office, doubled the size. So our ability to tackle projects grew by 100%. And then they'd been planning on releasing a three-year strategic plan, which was released a month after I started. So very much the stage has been set. Sustainability sits underneath in the president of the university's office. So we very much have the support of leadership on campus, and it's known as a priority to University of Louisiana. It's known that sustainability is a priority. So it really makes it, honestly makes it my job pretty easy. (laughs) Right. Because there's no having to convince anybody that this is important. Exactly. People ask all the time, like, what, what are the biggest challenges? Or they ask, how do, how do I get about this? Because my, my boss or the person who makes the final decisions isn't really bought in yet. And I've been so lucky that everywhere I've been, I happen to move to the places where leadership is bought in and it's it's embedded into or growing the culture of sustainability, but it's embedded into the fabric already. We just have to now brighten those pieces. And what do you say to people when they ask that question, when the what do I do if I have an unsupportive boss question comes up? Yeah, I actually was just speaking with someone last week about this. And it really is a matter of as much as it is in my world when people are already bought in and I want to bring in like outside partners, if you're trying to get anyone on board, it's all about aligning values. 
And do you ever find that their goals may not necessarily be sustainability, but that sustainability could reach other goals aside from just being greener? Yes. Regardless of the intention, positive things are happening. So here at Louisiana, we have the goal of becoming a zero waste university at some point. And so we were able to pilot what that would look like in our football stadium this past year. So the university, if I'm getting this right, has started with the football stadium and then it will build out from that sport facility to a university-wide initiative. Correct. That's the plan. might seem a little strange that that was the choice. (laughs) Um, You tell me whether that that seems (laughs) weird or not. But the thought process was it's a large-scale event, so it would give us the idea of whether we'd be able to handle something of this size. It is contained, so it happens on six Saturdays a year, and that's it. It's not something that we'd have to do day after day. We could could watch it happen at one time. It's contained in an area, like literally within a, a gated area. And it also honestly gets a lot of attention, and we needed we need to get people on board and wanting this in order to really push the envelope and push things forward. And so the the attention that doing something at a large-scale sports-related event, the attention that that brings is something we were looking for as well. That's fantastic. So you ac- accomplished the initial goal of proving it works. What was the fan feedback? Did they get on board? Did they buy in? Yeah. Overall, I believe they did. We got so much feedback about, wow, this is really awesome. Lots of questions of, wait, what is this? Like, what what is compost again? Because that's another thing is, it's been interesting transitioning from CU Boulder to University of Louisiana, where things are kind of embedded into the framework of how the city functions. So these concepts, we didn't have to explain as much about what compost, the actual physical process is, which I love. That's a great teaching opportunity. So the feedback was really great. A lot of people would ask why and honestly immediately get it. It's fun because so we're the Raging Cajuns. Lafayette, where University of Louisiana is, is the heart of Cajun country. We use the tagline, Cajuns don't waste, because it's embedded in the Cajun culture, specifically Cajun cooking. A lot of the well-known recipes or food items like gumbo and jambalaya are made out of all the bits and pieces of all the food that's available. So that notion of Cajuns don't waste is something that fans really got on board with. And we actually have sent out a survey to football fans working with Brian McCullough and Tim Kellison on that. Do not have the results yet, but once they are out, we'll be happy to share them. That would be great. And so you know, you put a tagline on it, you have to have conversations with people about what exactly zero waste means and what exactly composting means. What do you say in those conversations? Where do you start? Yeah, I always start with that zero waste definition and saying, well, zero waste with an asterisk because we always want to be sure that we're being totally transparent about where we're trying to get to. So zero waste meaning you're sending zero waste to landfill. Zero with an asterisk, meaning sending less than 10% of the waste created to landfill. So that's number one, is doing that. And then it's really a matter of 
okay, if we can't send this material to a landfill, where can we send it? And those options are back into the local system, like to be reused on site again, sent to be recycled or sent to be composted. And so that sounds like a process that would have many different partners involved at each of those destinations. If you're recycling it back into, you know, the on-site food service, that would have partners on site who have to be on board. If you're sending it to recycling, that I imagine would have waste services involved. So are there, how many different partners have to be included in this process for it to to work? Oh, I want to say, so I could pull up my report from the season and count the list. I want to say there are about 14 different entities involved in making zero waste happen in football this year. And Again, I just want to be transparent here. So zero waste being the goal, we haven't quite hit that yet after one season of compost. That might have been a bit lofty of a, a goal. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, lots, lots of different partners have to be involved from the food service provider, the people that are supplying the food to fans and what they're serving in. That has to have an in-destination. The waste hauler. You know, someone has to pick up the material and take it to a place to be sorted and processed. We have to obviously work with the athletics department and grounds management, custodial crew, this effort at UL and then campuses across the country relies very heavily on student volunteers who help out during the games. They act as what we call zero waste goalies who stand at the zero-waste stations and help fans decide what goes where. And then composting, we actually would take the compost bags and sort them afterwards to make sure that any contaminants that slipped by the goalies didn't get sent out to the farm. And does it get harder as you get closer to that 90% to find those little spots where, ooh, we could maybe do a little bit better in this particular restaurant or that particular area of the concourse? Does it get harder? Oh, yeah, definitely. Right now where we're sitting, there's still some, I'd say they're like medium hanging fruit that won't be as difficult to get to. But once we get up to the like 75% diversion, getting closer and closer to 90 and zero waste gets exponentially more difficult. And when it comes to being a fan, so let's say I'm a fan, I want to go to a game at UL start to finish from buying my ticket to leaving the facility at the end of the day, what's the best way to be green at every stage? Oh, all right. So I am my fan. I'm a fan. I bought my ticket online. I hopefully the venue offers a way for me to redeem my ticket via my phone. And that, I mean, for me personally, that's not only like having to print something else. I mean, I don't own a printer, so it's more convenient for me as well as byproduct of not producing, even though it's only one piece of paper and not producing that piece of waste. So getting into the stadium with a paperless ticket for universities that you can make that very easy for students by allowing student access via their university ID cards, bringing in. So this is, I don't know what facilities managers that might make mad about this, but should be allowed to bring in your own empty reusable water bottle so that you can fill that up at a water fountain that is easily accessible on the concourse. There's 
an option. So of those, like a re of a refillable cup, it'd be questionable whether or not you could bring in a refillable cup in order to buy soda with that. That that is where I know you get into a food safety issue. But there could be a way to you buy that cup in the stadium, put a deposit on the cup, and then return it before you leave, so that then the facility can wash it and reuse those moving forward could be an option. Right. When you're purchasing food, I have not, I've come up with some pretty crazy, some pretty crazy ideas. I haven't really gotten too far on the, when I'm buying my food that I'm eating, what to package that in. I would say like when you're serving food, focus on finger foods put on the menu, then you don't have to even address the issue of cutlery and making that compostable cutlery which in many cases is going to still be made out of material that is difficult and takes a long time to break down. Offering vegetarian and or vegan options at the concession stands, that's something that I think gets left off a lot, but is has a very large environmental impact and then pretty easy option. As more and more, there are more and more people choosing to live plant-based lifestyles or at least even just wanting to eat healthier. And so it's nice just even providing those options for fans. And then in terms of, so if you go to the team store and purchase something, not providing plastic bags for what people purchase or having reusable, branded reusable bags available, and then the items with sold within those stores, if they're made out of, even better if they're made out of sustainable materials, whether that be organic cotton, what's gotten a lot of traction and really cool CU and then I think it's ASU the other Pac-12 school who offers now in their bookstores t-shirts made out of recycled content so recycled PET or recycled plastic bottles and you can do that with it's amazing what you can make out of a plastic bottle these days (laughs) (laughs) in terms of getting to and from the game I know that Many right, organizations, <laughs> yeah, many organizations, I think, are struggling to figure out the green transport piece. I mean, especially in football because of where some of the facilities are located, but also just because, you know, people want to tailgate. They want that opportunity. They want that experience. So how do you get around that? So I, I have a dream that one day the party bus culture turns into a fan bus culture where that's the norm. You buy your game ticket. It includes my fan bus pass. I get on the fan bus at my location and that's where the party, the game game starts there. So as I get on the bus and then I'm taken in public transportation to the field. When it comes to the future of sport and sustainability and where it's going, what do you see being the next big trends or big moves in the industry related to sustainability? Oh, I've been waiting for this, Maddie. Well, so I'm sure you are aware. I don't know if your listeners will be aware, but so Lou Blaustein, who is Green Sports blog, he refers to it as Green Sports 2.0. So 1.0 being where most of the conversation and I'd venture to say all of the work was done in operations. And yes, we still have a ways to go if we're talking about every sports event across the world. However, 
huge strides and accomplishments have been made. And especially when it comes to new stadiums being built, if it's not LEED certified, I don't know that I've heard of one being built recently, at least on the professional level, that is not built at least to LEED standards. So operationally, Green Sports 1.0, as Lou calls it, doing pretty well. We're in this transition phase now into the 2.0, getting the clubs and leagues and properties to actually talk about what they're doing. Because that's where the power of sport really comes into play. And I know some people really hate that phrase, power of sport, but it's true. The platform that sport has in order to like bring light to these issues and to this really way of life and way of operation is huge. And so the challenge comes in finding the line and talking about it between entertainment, like the purpose that we are here, and encouragement and influencing fan behavior. Because it's challenging the status quo, particularly like I'm talking about getting into the sports marketing space. And we, I work, I think about every day on how to tie in sustainability to the traditional sports marketing landscape, sports sponsorship landscape. And we don't want to take away from the fan experience we as fans are there to watch a game and not be preached to about behaviors. However, if you think about it, and I would push back, but built into the fan experience is constant, sometimes more passive, but constant preaching and prodding to buy food, buy another beer, buy merchandise, recognize this sponsor. Taco Bell's giving you free tacos because we scored this many points. So it's there. It's just a matter of changing or tweaking the lens at which things fall on and partnerships are built.